surely not analysis or actual reflection, accounts for an excuse based simply on a woman's sex and not on what she does or is capable of doing. Welcome to Man Unmade, a podcast normalizing the authority and power of women's voices in a man's ear. We've done a really weird job in media of moving away from people. It's what I like about the show that I do for Hearst now, the syndicated mm-hmm. show, because it's very people-centric, right? It's like policy without people is irrelevant. So you mm-hmm. want to hear how people are being affected and yes. centering people. You know what? I like Soledad O'Brien a lot. You know why? Because she's real. Because she searches high and low for the truth in a thing. Because the people who spend their time burping up whatever garble they can think of, lying, spewing hate, spewing spew, she will go get them. She's not afraid. She makes me less afraid because following her, I see it's okay to stand up and say, nope, that's not right, and you know it. Or, no, you can't actually say that with zero responsibility. Your words matter, so stop it. She gives me a guidepost for what it looks like to say to yourself, you know what, I have something I want to say. And I'd like to say it on my terms, in my way, and that's okay. As long as what I have to say is not burpy garbles. So thank you, Soledad, because I know a world where none of us are free and clear to say and do whatever we want or else be held accountable for all to see is a better world. And you, Soledad, are making that possible. Okay, everybody, we are back in the pod, in the Man Unmade podcast, and I am... Super stoked. This is insane that I'm even doing this today. Um, Soledad O'Brien is here with us today. And let me read this out to you really quick, okay? Here we go. Now, remember, I'm just a goofy idiot carpenter who, like, built stuff in his garage. There's my resume. Now let me read hers. Here we go. <laughs> Award-winning documentarian. A she can't o- build anything at all, <laughs> ever. She built the little box that her laptop is currently on, and it's not very steady. I feel like that tells your audience... All they need to know about me. Also, I do some TV stuff. I think yeah. we're good. I think we're there. Whatever. Three <laughs> Emmy Awards, journalist, speaker, author, philanthropist. I mean, what in the world? You you got a husband, so you're one of those things as well. Uh, you know, you're a parent to four children. Um, founder, CEO, Solo Dad O'Brien uh, Productions. Um, you've got your own podcast, which is amazing, very opinionated with Soledad O'Brien, which can be found on quakemedia.com. And you're the anchor and producer of Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien. It sounds busy. Doesn't that it's sound so, busy? It isn't it. Oh my it's, God, I'm tired for me. Yes. It's exhausting <laughs> and we're not even done. That can be found, by the way, Matter of Fact, uh, that can be found on matteroffact.tv. But then you also, um, you founded Powerful Foundation with your husband, which we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, which helps young women uh, get to and through college. I'm exhausted just reading that, Soledad. And yet, still, cannot put a little box together so that her laptop (laughs) is actually flat during the 10 million Zoom calls I do every day. Uh, See? Yes. Were were you doing as many Zoom calls in, like, video conferences before the pandemic? I mean, obviously, no, no, but were you doing them at all? 
Uh, you know what? We really didn't. Uh, the, the upside of Zoom has been, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to look back and sort of say, what do we keep and what do we lose post-pandemic? Right. Uh, the idea of not having to travel everywhere for things that are kind of like first round pitches, I think was amazing. I mean, mm. I am completely over Zoom. But on the other hand, being able to bring together a group of people who can really work together do a pitch effectively. Um, I think the quality is good, the ability to have conversations. Everybody's sort of been forced to hit this bar of you yeah. will adopt this technology. And so that's that's right. been good. Yeah. We will we will definitely travel less for some things or maybe just bring fewer people with us instead of having four people go to LA to, you know, to do a week of pitching, you know, mm. have one person go and everybody else back at home. So I really see some big changes. Yeah, but I'm I'm completely sick of Zoom. Oh, man. So sick of Zoom. I have four kids and a husband. So all six of us were on Zoom. And let me tell you, trying to find your little corner of the world to do your Zoom stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And and are your kids, uh, are they still Zooming for school or are they back in person? No, they're still Zooming. Two of my kids, the older two, are in college. Oh, well, they're. But they're on campus, but remote, right? So they're on campus, but then they sit in their dorm rooms and do school. Okay. Which actually does. It, it does have some benefits, right? It's a way to socially meet other people, kind of, sort of, mm-hmm. without actually going into classrooms and things. And then my boys are in ninth grade. And so they oh, are, okay. same thing, they're sort of like half half remote, half uh, going to class. Okay, wow. Well, yeah, it's so weird. It's a wild time for all of us. I, my kids mm-hmm. are, are, are back in school. Um, but with masks and the mm. whole thing, and, and yeah. um, but we did the Zoom for a hot minute there, and I I don't even I, it's I feel even guilty <laughs> asking about it because we didn't I mean we did it and we did it for a while, but it wasn't it, we didn't have to do it this year, and people are still doing it now, and I'm like, God it's bless exhausting. you. Oh my gosh, doing yeah. Zoom is like being a cable TV anchor. I'm actually Oof. amazing at Zoom because I am a good cable TV anchor. And yes. so, you know, so I can host a lot of stuff on Zoom, but it's also exhausting. Like anchoring a cable TV show, you know, yeah. hour number four, you're Oof. losing yeah. your mind. And also, like, why do we have to look at people all the time? I always yeah. say to my assistant, you know, with all due respect, some things can just be phone calls. Like, I don't need to see everybody. And they don't need to see me. Also, right? I, I, I tell him that often. Do you really want to look at my face again? Plus, don't you want to, like, scrub your bathroom while you're doing this call or, like, organize something? You know, something that you wouldn't do with a camera on. Give me one like, minute, uh, Soldat. I got to go run and grab exactly. the Drano. I'm, I'm, yeah. Why not? I'd totally be okay with that. Are you being productive and you're listening? Get it done. Totally fine. I like that. That is really fun. Funny. I'm gonna um, hold that to you, Clint. Later. I know. Not like, I, everything needs to be face to face. Yeah, you're probably right. I know, and I, I'm <laughs> I'm so old school. My son, he he always he's my oldest, and he's like, Dad, technology is evolving, and you need to evolve with it. Yeah, this is like yeah. what he constantly says to me, and I'm like, I know, Hudson. Okay. Yeah, they're the worst. They're the worst. We need a dog. It's children. They will sell you down the road. Oh my God, are you wearing that? Oh my God, Mom. Oh my God. You're so stupid. You just look like an idiot. It's like, okay, I know, all right? <laughs> but now help me get on to whatever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh my word. Um, okay, woo. This is, I mean, couldn't go better. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Soledad O'Brien, you, ha- you are just the best. How fun. Um, okay, you are prolific on social media. I know. That's not a good thing because social media pays you no money. (laughs) Congratulations (laughs) on being prolific on a thing that 
basically is a waste of your time. Well done. Well Good done, job, you. You're the best. Exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, yes. You have really accomplished something. I'm very proud of you. Um, I feel you on that for sure. You follow so many people, but I got to tell I you. I love that strategy, actually. It's a good strategy. People don't always agree, but here's my strategy. There's a uh-huh. rapper whose name is Becky G, Latina. I did a doc okay. on her. Really great. I mean, she was a girl at the time I did the doc, but she's probably 21 now. Okay. And, um, and she said that she followed anybody who followed her. Mm. And I was like, really? Doesn't that seem like a lot? She's like, anybody who's going to be a fan, like you, they deserve that you follow them back. And she said, you have to be wow. liberal about unfollowing people where you're like, wow, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Yes. And I kind of thought that was a really good strategy. Like if someone's interested in you and what you have to say, you know, why not engage them in conversations? I think journalists often follow each other. Like Mm-mm. with love to my fellow journalists. Oh, <laughs> often very, but you know, like real yeah. people who are doing other things other than journalism are often very fascinating. You know, and that's who you're reporting on, right? So, I mean, yeah, and yeah. just people, you know, so uh, I, yeah. I've really enjoyed it, but you do have to be quick with the unfollow, you know, mute kind yeah. of button. For sure. Yeah, because there's some extreme folks out there. Um, well, when I, I, I like totally, <laughs> yeah, when I figured out there was a way on Twitter to like look at who follows you and who is verified who follows you. Like, this is how behind I am on the times. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. You can kind of like see the verified people that follow you. So I'm like looking through there. I'm like, Soledad O'Brien follows me? What the hell? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I, I looked at how many you follow like 800,000 people no, or something. No, no it's but not I that follow many, about but half that. I think I follow like 400,000 people. I mean, and only because you do it slowly. So Okay, I but I, I still felt like number one. I was oh. like, it to me, I was like, I... Sometimes I, people push back and they're like... I can't believe she follows all the people, and I'll say, "No." Well, feel free to unfollow me if you want to. And then, I did. Oh my no. God, Soledad, is this you? I'm like, yeah. Yes, don't be so sassy. I, I uh-huh. was, I was really deeply touched. I was like, even though you follow so many thousands of people, I was like, at one point, at this is the way I think of it. There was a moment when <laughs> Soledad O'Brien was on Twitter on right. my profile, and I she was like, it. "Yeah, I'll follow this guy," and, and that I, like I also, meant the world. I, I like checking in on what people have to talk about, or sometimes mm-hmm. people will say this exciting thing happened or this sad thing happened. I mean, I yes. much prefer that than, you know, journalist number nine hundred ninety nine. Who, who I yeah. do follow a lot of journalists, but sure. I, I think they're much less interesting than somebody who's working on an interesting. Pro- there was a woman today who, um, who works in a local small town elections, tweeting mm. about what it's like, you know, how hard it is, even though it's, you know, she's yeah. like, I bring my people bring their knitting, I bake, you know, she's like, it, this is small town USA. But yeah. here's what it's like. I thought that was just so fascinating. But you know, sometimes you do make mistakes. So for me, it was always unfollow. I also think it's interesting. Like if I wanted to reach out to you, I would just hit you up on Twitter. It's kind of nice. You know, I wouldn't it's have so to nice. track down your people and then hope mm-hmm. my people reach out to your people, which means by the end of next week, you should be getting a message from me, you know, like, why not just say, hey, Trying to do a yeah. conversation, you know, mm-hmm. here's my cell, can you call me? And so far, oh, it's not I, I mean, that's how you're on this. I, like, literally just reached out on Twitter, and I told, uh, like, I, I was nervous. I was like, I mean, what? <laughs> I'm just writing Sold Out O'Brien, okay. And then you were like, yeah, that'd be great. I was like, what? I go home with Kelly, all right, break out a bottle of wine. Time to celebrate <laughs> Sold Out O'Brien. send me a bottle of wine. All right? <laughs> yeah. I think you guys that's, got oh, that really Lisa, wrong. in the mail, there we go. <laughs> But, I mean, it does cut out the middleman in a lot of ways, right? And also, it allows you to say, 
this is what we want to talk about. Are you interested yeah. in having this conversation? And you can scroll mm-hmm. back through and see, oh, yeah, this is a person I've engaged with. Or, oh, I like, I remember following him or following her because this is what they talked about. I thought that was interesting. And so, yes. you know, I, I, I've really liked it. It's just a, a bit of a shorthand. But again, with the caveat, you do have to unfollow people pretty quickly if they get icky. But, you know, the other thing that's helpful, I find that sometimes in social media, people will swarm. If you tweet something that people don't like, or if you Mm. say something, even things that are sometimes misconstrued, but everybody piles on. Because I follow so many people, my my turnover is very fast, right? Like, Mm. that lasts for about a day. And then it moves on. So if I feel like, oh, everybody's mad at this thing I said... I just get off Twitter, and it, within 24 hours, it's like a palate cleanser, like all <laughs> yeah. gone, Yeah, and I'm on to the next thing. That's really funny. That's a good little uh, trick. Yeah, you know, it's not write bad. Write that down, yeah. It's not bad. Um, well, I uh, have so many questions that I want to ask uh, you, and, and there's so many things I'd like to talk about. Obviously, we only have so much time, so I won't get to all of my questions, but I'm going to get to as many as I can. But before I do that... Um, yes, you're prolific on Twitter. We've read your resume, all of those amazing things, but how in the heck did it start? Where, where did it, where did Soledad O'Brien's journey begin where all of a sudden you were like, you know what? Here's a good idea. I think I want to go be a a journalist. Uh, it was more like probably med school is not for me is really Ah. where it started, which by the way, I think is one of the reasons I really recommend to people to young people to do a lot of internships to take a lot of classes right like Mm. explore because I think finding something you love is amazingly important but also finding something you hate or you feel like wow this is boring as hell and I don't want to do it I think Mm -hmm. that that's that kind of clarity is very helpful Mm -hmm. Uh, I was uh, a junior in high in college and I I was taking pre-med classes actually with my sister who's now a surgeon and okay um, and I, you know, and she used to say to me, "You're just not passionate. Like you, you, you're good at memorizing stuff, and a lot of pre-med stuff is a lot of memorizing formulas, okay, yeah, memorizing structures of molecules and things like that. But, mm-hmm. but in terms of, do you understand how it functions? Mm-hmm. I would not say I was good at that. And mm. I think she really made me realize, like, you know, you, you just always wanted to do this because this is what people do, not because you're particularly passionate about it." So I left school and I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. So I, I did. I started working at a TV news station in Boston, actually not too cl- not too far from my college, um, because I could. I could get a job there and I had a place to live and sure. and I and I really liked it. I mean, a lot of it was fetching coffee and I used to have a job removing staples from the bulletin board, <laughs> whatever that thing is. You know, you remove staples. So, yeah. Um, you know, and and I I was you know that was sort of like menial skills. I was kind of good at that, but but I liked being part of a team that was working on getting news stories on, and yes, and so I was able to kind of figure out my passion by being very clear of the thing that I wasn't particularly passionate about, and that was really lucky. Probably that was my biggest, most important break, was sure. being having a lot of clarity on not this, mm. even though from the time I was you know. 14, I was a candy striper in a hospital. And oh, yeah. 16, I was working as, an, you know, as a nurse's aide and working in you know, nursing home. You know, always worked at a pharmacy, always building the resume mm-hmm. to go to med school one day totally. and then realizing, like, Ugh, maybe not for me. Yeah. So then it just the local internship, you did that. And what is it one of those stories where, like, you know, everybody was gone for the day or so you thought and you, like, sat behind the news desk and, like, said, hi, I'm Soledad O'Brien. And, like, the little did you know the producer was watching and he was like, this kid's got promise. 
<laughs> Sadly, no. It was more like, O'Brien, oh, get me a grilled cheese sandwich, please, with fries. Yeah. Okay, coming up. You know, and then one day, O'Brien, oh, you want to come on this trip? Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, literally, I mean, I, I love working in local news. Boston was a great city for um, for news, yeah. just great stories. Yeah, and if you, it was very much an apprenticeship, so you could work with people. By the time I became a production assistant, I was working with the medical reporter because okay. I had a good, decent background in, in you know medicine from a PA standpoint, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, working with someone who was just very talented and very obsessed with quality was really, really helpful, yeah. and gave me a great uh, ability to reach out to the people at NBC News because, of course, NBC used a lot of uh, hospitals in Boston because Boston had a bunch of teaching hospitals yep. for NBC Nightly News, et cetera, et cetera. So then I was able to move on to NBC News. So it was, you know, it was, but it was really an apprenticeship. It really was just being in a, a good place and and then just working hard and doing whatever I was asked to do. Do you remember your first live on Ugh. TV, you know, like TV segment and how did it go? In person, I was a reporter at Carowind TV in San Francisco and I was okay. groped in the middle. I was at a bar. Oh my God. What? They had promised me that I would not have to do a live shot. And you know, you guys know this, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever taken your podcast or taken a show out on the road. There's things it, you do, right? Like right. you say, we're going to be here. And, and I went to this bar and I was just standing there and I didn't realize that I shouldn't have people behind me. I'd been on air for less than a week, I think about three days. They promised that I wouldn't go on the air for a little while, but okay. I just didn't know. I mean, I'd never done a live shot. So I was just kind of like standing like this. There were people behind me and I was like, okay. Not realizing like you should never, ever, ever let people be behind you in the live shot. One, they'll just wave at the camera. But yeah, two, yeah. right. The, the guy, some guy pinched me on the butt and I, I froze and it was horrible. It was oh, horrible. So yeah. Bad. So bad. What in so the bad. world? Right? So bad. But you know, I, like, at, of course, because lights are on, you're in a bar. I was yes. doing a story on the San Francisco Giants had made it to the playoffs. This was 19, yeah. I think 1990, maybe three or something like that. So, okay. So, so that's um, Bonds era. Yeah, exactly. And yep. so, um, it was a very big deal, and I was at this bar. But, of course, you know, like now I would think, okay, bar. I need to bring yes. two more people with me. I need to be backed up against the bar, actually, yeah. right, so no one can yeah. get behind me. Right. Lights should be here. We need those people to keep everybody over there, you know. But yes. at the time, I just I just didn't know. I just it, didn't know. Yeah. You're learning the ropes as you literally are. So it was bad. It was yeah. bad. Oh, wow. So oh, that's bad. rough. Yeah, not good. Not well, good. Uh, you obviously have overcome that moment um, for sure. And which, by the way, you reminded me as you said that you also have a show on HBO, right? With a I'm a correspondent show. for Real Sports, yeah, on HBO. Okay. Do you still like? You really have a passion for sports, or is that? Oh my just gosh, like, I love it. Well, that show do you really? is not about sports, right? That show. Okay. I mean, so the segment that I, the piece that I just did, was a look at a woman who's a Paralympian. Mm. who was uh, rescued from an orphanage. Uh, we talked to her adoptive mom, and okay. she's a Paralympian. She had to end up having um, her limbs cut off because they were in such bad shape when she was Jeez. rescued out of the Ukraine. But um, she's become, gone on, and she literally just won six world championships the, like the other day. I mean, you and, know. And wow. what uh, She does a lot of, um, of skiing, and, okay. she's, and, she, and, and she started off in, in sailing. Like, she's just amazing. Gosh. But it's not about... You know, so what maneuvers did she do to win in the slalom? Uh-huh. You know, it's much yeah. more about, uh, she talked a lot about how she was molested 
every oh, wow. night because the, the, the orphanage was attached to a brothel. Jeez. And so as a six-year-old, that like a lot of the kids were kind of trafficked. Right, so that's the kind of story you're telling. It's not mm-hmm. really about sports. Sports, I think, is a prism. Yes. Uh, we're working on a, uh, we did a big project about chess and the resurgence of chess in the oh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, like you don't need to actually play chess to understand right. what's happening with chess. The um, Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit was wildly successful and yeah. I think has really sort of brought people's interest back to chess. And there was a guy uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, who's been trying to make America, you know, the place for chess more Oh, More okay, chess really? masters live in St. Louis because he brings them in and puts them on a stipend and has them play. Like if you're walking down the street in front of the chess club, when we were there, you probably have six or seven like chess global chess masters on the street playing chess. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> right, exactly. What in the world? So crazy. Yeah. So, so you know, you don't need to know anything about chess to understand right. what the story's about. And that's what I've really loved about real sports. That it's much more about the prism of sports versus, mm-hmm. you know, here's here's who did what during this game to win it. Yes. Um, well, I love that, and I love sports, and I love the stories behind it. You know, college game day on ESPN, you know, I'm like, I'm the guy that's crying every right, Saturday always, whenever, right. you know, Tom Rinaldi was doing his stories. So it's just always, like right? bawling your eyes out. It's um, a story few people know. Yeah. <laughs> I but behind the scenes, <laughs> different tragedy was taking place. That's right. <laughs> you see a touchdown. Right. <laughs> and it's like just, oh. Right. Oh, it's so good. Um, well, so y- you start, you know, there you are at a bar and some guys, you know, touching you inappropriately as you give a interview online or a segment online or live. And, we didn't uh, have online back then. Yeah, not online. Yes, no me. online. Right. What in the heck are you talking what? about? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you work your way through the ranks, and you you know you go through you know you're at NBC, you're at CBS, you know, et cetera, et cetera, CNN. Um, uh, okay, you win awards, you do all this stuff. I, I've been through some of the you know they used, sometimes they call them car washes or whatever. You know when you go into the media and you'd have to do this interview and that interview and whatever. And there was a time when I, I sort of felt like, I was like, wow, I didn't really ever understand what a machine this whole thing is, right? And how it just literally, it, it thrives and it, it lives and survives on people and stories and you're just cranking it out. Like, and so you walk into these morning shows and you got to give people credit. They make you feel really super important, but you realize I'm just one more like story in this whole thing because there's somebody else right behind me. And then tomorrow they got to do it all over again. And I can imagine that has got to be just exhausting. Um, you seem, and this is why I follow you and, and just, I respect you so much. You seem genuinely only interested in the real story, the truth, you're not trying to dramatize, dramatize, what, dramatize? Dramatize. Yeah, I don't know how to even say the word, whatever. You're not trying to, like, you know, make it anything other than what it is. You're trying to tell the truth. But you were in that game for a long time, obviously. I mean, working at those different places. Was there ever a moment where you were just like, okay, this thing, just like this whole machine that I'm a part of, mm -mm, this is not for me. Because now you own your own production company and you're doing your own thing. 
How did that happen? Yeah, the, probably the one time it was most uncomfortable for me was the arc of school shootings. Oh. So if you look at the Newtown school shooting, for example, you okay. get there, and week one, people are saying, oh, my gosh, thank you for coming. And we do interviews, and you're trying mm -hmm. to unravel the story, and people don't know what's happening, and you're, yeah. you're talking to elected officials, and you're really helpful, right, because you're there. And so uh -huh. you're, you're definitely a center of information gathering. Week two, the story's beginning to move on, but it has what we call the, the delta, right? Like the, the ratings from last week are still higher than they were before. Mm -hmm. So they want you to stay there, even though you kind of feel like we're in week two. There's not, you know, there's no more, oh, my gosh, here's the story. Here's a thing you didn't hear. We need to talk to this person. All that's gone. So now you're doing aftermath. Uh, you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so there's still some value, but it's it's waning. It starts getting a little uncomfortable because mm. now you're a bit of a, a pain in the ass, frankly. Right yeah. now, yeah. your your satellite truck is blocking the street. You know, mm. people who allowed you to park in their driveway are kind of mad. And they, yeah. they feel like, we want to move on with our lives. We need you to go. Week yeah. three, people just hate you. There was a great Oof. video once I remember on CNN. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I was in. I remember watching it, so I wasn't there. But it was a two reporters were covering. I think it was the Newtown school shooting, actually. Mm -hmm. But there was a bus that was pulling through, and you could see one end of the bus in one of the reporters' live shots, okay. and the other end of the bus in the other reporters' live shot. Right, like. They were uh, separating them to make it feel, we've got team coverage. We're going to yes. start with Sue, then we go over to Bob. And, you know, when, when actually they're standing next to each right other. Right next to wow. yeah. And there's no actual thing happening. Now people hate you. They're yes. beeping their horns in the middle of their live shot. You uh, are blocking traffic. They're sick of you, and they feel like you're camped out in the middle of a tragedy, and they just mm -hmm. want to heal, and they'd like you to go. And that is yeah. the worst. That's the yeah. worst. That's the worst. And so... There were a couple of times when you're covering, and, and again, that, that delta. Yeah, but before we started this coverage, we had 100 viewers, and mm. now we have 250, right? So mm. it still makes sense for us to be here because yes. even though the numbers have gone down, it's still bigger than if we were to leave the story altogether. Yes. So that was always very awkward because you didn't really have a reason to be there except for my bosses are making me be here. And um, yeah. and so I did not like that at all. And one of the things that I really liked about starting my own production company and doing what I want to do is you were there as long as you needed to be there. And then you mm -hmm. could just go. You didn't, ha you know, you weren't just there because it makes sense for us to cover the story um, even though there's nothing to tell, like we'd all agree, there's nothing here in this parking lot with a bus behind us that adds value. No. But, you know, so so it's just was a, it was that part, that kind of stuff was very frustrating for sure. So that sort of catapulted you out of that, or at least began the process of you going, I think I want to go and do my own thing. Did you feel like you didn't, weren't able to have your own voice the way, and, and say the things you wanted to say or? No never a problem it was just you know you you travel a lot and so often yeah. you know for example i remember being sent to cover some anniversary of a john benet ramsey story mm -hmm. and you know it's you and you're in this line of probably a hundred reporters i mean they would show pictures at the time of all the reporters lined up right reporter and then camera and lights just yes. a giant line and i remember thinking it, like yeah. why am i here I, i'm mm. not adding value there's nothing you know, it's yeah. just, it's, you're just a placeholder. And I'm missing all this stuff at home right. to be at a place where it's utterly irrelevant for me to be here. And that kind of stuff just starts wearing on you, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, on social media, one of the things that I noticed about you, and I 
love it. And I don't ever I'm think- so young looking in the photos I take with my oh, puppy? Oh, you, yes, whatever, you are, absolutely. And Coco is amazing. I she love cute. Coco. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> so cute. She and Poppy would be really good friends. That's our dog. She we, loves yeah. everybody, yes. Oh, yes, oh, Yes, she yeah. would. She's a sweetheart. Um, uh, I, I, I want to say this in a way that it's like, you're never disrespectful, I don't feel, or anything like that. But here's the way I feel about Soldat O'Brien. Nobody is safe. Yeah, Th that is that's and my I am feeling. sometimes disrespectful, but yes, um, <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't I have I think one of the things that is the saddest for me to see in journalism is when people want to be friends with the people they cover. And I mean, and I have mm. my friends and, you know, the people I don't like, but but I I really sometimes like so right now everybody's in love with John Boehner. You know, today yeah. John Boehner was, I don't know why, and I he's written a book, this. and I guess because his book is, you know, telling a lot of, you know, tales, spilling a lot of tea, but it's yeah. like, at the end of the day, you ask John Boehner, and he's like, yeah, I voted for Trump, this, just recently, you're like, so you're sitting here, your entire book is how much you hate Donald Trump, and how he's destroying the country, and right. how the Republicans have driven the country off the cliff, and yet, what you've actually done, right, so there's no connection, it's mm -mm. completely hypocritical. You, yeah. There's no connection between what you believe and what you're saying in this book. So, yeah, be sassy and say, you know, F you to Ted Cruz or whatever. You know, like, I, I get right. that that's going to give you media. But at the end of the day, you're a yeah. lined up good little soldier who didn't have issues with some of the very things that you highlight in your book. So, I don't know, right. I, that, that kind of hypocrisy just drives me crazy. And, and I think yeah. it deserves to be called out whoever you see it from. I, well, you totally. call it out. And like you and I, it cracks me up. I mean, I told Kelly, my wife, the other day, I was like, here's the deal, Kelly. She, no one is safe. I'm going to do this podcast with her. I'm not even safe. Like we, <laughs> we could become best friends, but that is so good though, because I'm like, you know, you are keeping people accountable. But and I tried it like for new reporters. I try not to pick on new. I've been there. You know, if you were somebody sure. who was a new reporter, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, this is a terrible report. You know, but no. yeah, if yeah. If you're a public figure, if you're mm -hmm. doing an interview and, you know, like, yes, you should be held accountable. You should not be lying about stuff. You should be doing a better job. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of that. And I don't, I don't mind. Like, I think it's fine. I, I don't need to suck up to John Boehner. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I mean, you know, like, I think a more interesting question is that no one asked him is, but with all the things that you write about how much you hate Donald Trump, why did you vote for why him? Why did you vote? Right. Yeah. Like, that was actually kind of the most interesting question. Mm -hmm. uh, and he couldn't answer it. Why? Because he's a hypocrite. Because he doesn't actually have the guts and the balls that he likes to talk about that he has. He doesn't. Right. So, yeah. and, and that, by the way, would go for, and this is why I love you so much, is that, like, it, that would go for a Republican or a Democrat. So, hundred percent. Again, it's not that. It's not Don't that. Don't ask he, me about our, our fine city's mayor, Bill De Blasio. Oh, sure, right. <sighs> I mean, and and like, it's not the fact that that he didn't vote that he voted for Trump, that Boehner voted for Trump. It's just the fact that he voted for the person that he is standing hypocrite. up against. Yes, and He's and just a hypocrite. Right. Well, listen, right. when when I remember at the beginning of the, the pandemic. Bill de Blasio told everybody to stay home and stop going to the gym and then immediately took himself to the gym to go work out. And by the way, the mayor travels like in a team with suburban, you know, blacked out windows. So, you know, yeah. like it's, so it's, it's not extreme. like he rolled up there by himself on his bike. It's, you know, and you're kind of like, did you not think anybody would <laughs> notice you? Yeah. Like go work out at the gym? What? It's just so crazy. It's, and it's yeah. so like, so this just obviously 
People are freaking out. It's a pandemic. No one really understands exactly what does it mean? Are our jobs safe? What's going to happen? Yeah. Is this your version of leadership that you tell everybody to do a thing that has no impact on you? By the way, you're also the mayor. You could be like, you, you, and you. Go find me some 15-pound barbells. You and yeah. you. I'm going to yeah. need you know, a mat. Right. And I, I'm going to need a yoga mat. And, you know. Yes. I, like, I just, it just. A personal trainer. That, I mean, to hello. me, was <laughs> so crazy in your own giant apartment called the governor's mansion, mayor's yeah. mansion, I'm sure, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, what is it? The crazy. mayor's, yeah. The, the mayor's mansion, sure, crazy whatever. Mansion, right? It's so, probably very yeah. big, whatever it's, it is. I'm yeah. sure it's certainly bigger than Spacious. my little apartment where I'm doing my little <laughs> workouts, my phone setup. Yes. And so it's that kind of stuff that actually drives me crazy, right? Because I do think it eats away at a system where people already lack faith in the system, whether yeah. you're a Republican or a Democrat, to have people who are just examples of of just BSing their way through things. I think it's problematic, right? I, I, yeah. I think it's I think it's bad. I think it's bad. I, I, I want to give you this credit, too, um, that there are certain news agencies that I was typically watching. Um, uh, I'm from Atlanta, so, uh, you know, CNN was always kind of near and dear to my heart, whatever. And, and so I've, uh, you know, been watching CNN for a long time. And I started, like, paying attention, obviously, through the election cycle, especially the last one that we, we went through, you know, it's, I mean, you're just turning it on all the time and you're just watching, 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 watching. And you actually pointed out a few different things along the way where I was like, yeah, that way, that is totally hypocritical to where I'm like, wait a sec. No, CNN, I'm looking for somebody else, you know? And, and I, I like CNN sometimes. Uh, sure. But, I, but a, a good example would be Chris Cuomo interviewing his brother. And right. I know yeah. people thought that was charming. I'm like, it really isn't. We're in a pandemic. And yeah. and actually, he shouldn't be interviewing his brother. It's just yeah. so against Confident. every journalism yes. rule. Someone should be able to say, well, Governor, I'm going to ask you some tough questions, right? Like, if it's your brother, you're not going to be challenged. And this dog and pony show that they had going that everybody thought was so charming, I'm like, oh, and then the minute, of course, it's problematic, and it looks like there were lies, and it looks yeah. like people died, and it looks like his brother was snuck in in order to get access to testing with the rest right. of us. Suddenly, it's like, oh, can't talk to my brother. <laughs> like, okay. I, uh, yeah. So, and, 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 and let me tell you, I love... John King and the wall on election night. Okay. I mean, I'll admit I am that I I'm stuck. I, I, there's nothing I can do to turn it off. It's so addictive. I'm watching him click on all the different counties and I'm trying to, you know, whatever. But then I hear you talk with, uh, Hillary Clinton a while back and you kind of drill down into with her over like, Hey, wait a second. You know, that maybe isn't even what we should be talking about all these, you know, this tally of like these different counties and everything. What about the people? What are the people saying? And I really, really love that. I thought that was like a well, great we've done a really you. weird job in media of moving away from people. It's what I like about the show that I do for Hearst now, the syndicated mm -hmm. show, because it's very people centric, right? It's like policy without people is irrelevant. So you mm -hmm. want to hear how people are being affected and yes. centering people. And so I, I you know, I, I completely agree. You know, we love playing this now. Almost it's a very guy thing, honestly, this idea of like politics as sport. We're going to get in there. <laughs> yeah. We're going to win. We're going to clash. We're going to take over. We're going to versus like, well, yeah. what is a way to make this process better for everyone? Yes. How do yeah. we come through where we actually do X that improves the system? Right. You know, this, the, even the language of how we think about politics and how politics is covered today 
is it's not even sometimes about the polit the, the policy. It's about who appeared to win, who came yes. out stronger, right? Versus <laughs> right. But if you come out stronger with a dumbass policy, like that's not a good right. thing. Oh, Why are we oh, cheering yeah. that? It's just frustrating. <laughs> Lisa and I have that dynamic. Whenever I say anything that's like you know competitive, she's like, "Yay, sports!" Yeah. <laughs> A little bit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's because there's something about it where it's like I want to watch the wall and see things are neck and neck, and like, is this person catching up? Oh no, they're you know, and, and that's not what it's supposed to be about. Crazy, and and, right. and you're talking about a context in which only 55 percent of Americans are voting, right? Like the number you should be really worried about is most people aren't voting. I know yes. we have yeah. this big fraudulent thing around voter. Uh, that you know that everybody and their mother is voting and, and you know and they shouldn't be but actually the real issue in American politics is that most people don't vote that yes. people are uninterested and unable mm -hmm. to get to the polls and they're not yep. voting we are our voting numbers are terrible so you know like that would be a much more interesting conversation and a much yep. more realistic and relevant conversation I think okay everybody man unmade was created to amplify women's voices and early on, we decided that beyond each interview, we also wanted to highlight women in business and music. So in each episode, we'll take time out to turn you on to a new business you've maybe never heard of and a singer-songwriter whose music we think you should try out. The music will come at the end of each podcast, so make sure you keep listening after we've wrapped the interview. If you're listening now and you happen to own or work for or have a friend with a business, or if you know of an artist or you are one, shoot us an email to contact at manunmadepodcast.com but the spotlight on women's businesses is right now. This week, we're highlighting Tree Fairfax Minimal Leather Goods, which is owned by Trisha Fairfax Hash. Tree Fairfax, at its core, is minimal leather goods that are long-lasting with timeless designs that will hopefully change how you move about the world. Each bag is created so that you can move around lightly, carrying only what you need in your beautiful, handcrafted leather bag. Each piece is hand-cut and stitched using locally sourced, high-quality leather. Tree Fairfax uses leather hides with natural imperfections and incorporates them into each bag, giving you a one-of-a-kind piece while also cutting back on waste. Every bag will take on a life of its own, with little reminders of time past. Each piece is created with love and care by hand. You can find them at www.treefairfax.com or on social at Tree Fairfax. Okay, I am going to their website now, and oh yeah, beautiful. Wow. You know what? The stuff that she talks about with like the imperfections that they leave on the leather, like they'll pick pieces that even have like natural markings or whatever. You can kind of see that on these bags that they've placed on their website and it's just gorgeous. I love it. Yes. I love the idea that as you carry the bag, it will like morph to like what you've, you've been doing right. um, when she says little reminders of time past. Um, yes. and you just kind of wear it in just like a good pair of like leather boots. You like wear it in. So you're, what's the word I'm looking for? The patina. Yes. The patina. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The more you use it, the better it gets. I mean, that's exactly. like, yeah, that's the whole point. So everybody go to uh treefairfax.com. Her stuff is just absolutely beautiful. It is handmade. So keep in mind that orders might take a little bit of time, one to two weeks for keychains, for instance. She has on her website that that's how long those take. Um, so it actually says all other orders placed in the month of April will ship late June into July 2021. So, you know, there's a wait list available for sold items. Um, this is not just your everyday handbag. She's actually 
you know, making this stuff. So um, be patient with her as she's doing that. Uh, but definitely go to her website, check it out, and buy some things because it is beautiful and quality, and uh, we love it. We, uh, we're big fans. Trisha, treefairfax.com. Go there, people. If the society today allows wrongs to go unchallenged, the impression is created that those wrongs have the approval of the majority. Barbara Jordan. As, as much as you can, and obviously I'm not asking for anything that you know, I'm not privy to that you don't want to share, but um, as much as you can, take me into the back rooms and are our fears r- real? My fears that like there are meetings going on that are going, yeah, but he's good for ratings. Um, There's no and- question. Yes. There's no question that it's, and, and by the way, I've, I've been in those meetings and said that very thing. Listen, whew, he is good TV. Make sure you get him. Make sure you stay yeah. wide on him because I think if I ask him these questions, he's going to rip off his mic and he's going to stand up. But I want to make mm. sure we get that in the full shot. Mm. But like that's because he's going to get mad or, you know, yep. this is going to be a, a fiery versus like, but will people understand the policy? Yes. You know, like, wouldn't it be more useful and helpful versus, yes. oh, they're good TV? So, sure, I, I've definitely put on people who are good TV, which does not actually mean informative or worthwhile TV. It just means right. it literally is the news equivalent of on Real Housewives where someone snatches somebody else's wig, right? You're like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> whoa, that was good yeah. TV. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, like kind of depressing, actually. I, in a lot I, of ways. I get very cynical, and especially during the elections, and, you know, I'm sure I frustrate the hell out of my wife because I, you know, say the same things over and over again, but I stand up and I'm like, this whole thing, this is not even true. This is about getting clicks. Like yeah. they're just trying to get people to the site. Like, what are they even saying? You know, and and I just get so like angry and frustrated. You know, but I'm am I right? I, I mean, like, right. how I think, much well, of it? Well, there are parts of it that you're you are right. So, for example, I think it's Politico had an article that was something like um, President Biden's. You know, he's so boring. And you're like, well, you know, actually, I think is a lot that of people bad? Like boring and <laughs> yeah. boring and, and I, I mean, boring and are we getting people vaccinated and are we trying to solve some problems or yeah. or boring and not doing your job? I mean, I guess it really depends on the context. But you know, this idea that like somehow someone who's giving you fodder for chaos and crazy every day is somehow more valuable and it is headline wise but it actually is mm-hmm. it good for the country is it good for reporting i don't think so necessarily I, I start to feel like um is it possible that basically the news stations cnn fox whatever are they essentially almost electing our presidents for us and i, I don't and i know that's extreme but it just feels like so many people just listen blindly to whatever anybody's listening to it feels like whoever wins that war wins an election. But am I totally off on that? I don't know about that. I, I do think that I think the problem is for me, for all of them, is that mm-hmm. the, just running with the narrative, like the idea that the Dr. Seuss story gets a, so much more you know, energy than the number of kids who are brought out of poverty by okay. the latest legislation. Yes. I'm much more, you know, which is more important. We would all agree. Now, X number of children have been pulled out of poverty by this legislation. Okay. Or we could talk about Dr. Seuss, who's been dead a really long a really, time, who's not yeah. writing any more books, right? right? Like, yeah. every book you have about Dr. Seuss, you're not getting more, you're not, you're like, you're done, it's, you know. Right. Uh, so, uh, obviously, one is a, an important story and one is not. But which yeah. one is going to get the most airtime? It's going to be the Dr. Seuss story, right? The, the culture wars type stories. 
yes. um, I think, end up becoming. They're easy to do. And so I don't think it's picking an election. It's more picking a narrative as opposed okay. to saying, so there's new legislation. We thought we'd walk you through. So you can see what your legislators are voting on. And you can see what, what, you know, what, what this thing actually says so you yes. understand the policy. Because otherwise, where else are you going to get it? And I get it. That's probably a little dry and a little bit boring. But I think for a lot, I mean, again, we've tried to do this on the show that I do. And we have found tremendous ratings. We'll literally say, everyone talks about the First Amendment. But what is it exactly? Yeah. What, do, what are your First Amendment rights? What or, does that mean? Uh, when someone is sworn into office, what exactly do they swear to? Like, yes. what are they yeah. promising to do? Do you know? I don't know. And I've covered yeah. swearings in, swearing ins forever. So uh, yeah, yeah. wouldn't it be kind of interesting to dig into that? Um, you know, so I, I have found in the work that I get to do that you could have these more interesting conversations versus, you know, uh, Dr. Seuss or, you know, uh, uh, gender uh, conversations about bathrooms, who gets access to bathrooms. You know, I was right. in a, a, a restaurant the other day and, 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 and I'm like, they had one bathroom, right? Everyone, you know, and everyone yeah. goes in one at a time because they have one bathroom. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a gender neutral bathroom because <laughs> they have be. one. And in my house where I have three bathrooms, <laughs> all of them are for whoever wants to, you know, but you would think that like bathroom use in America was mm-hmm. a huge, massive, dramatic issue. Girls right. sports and boys wanting to play on girls teams and girls wanting yes. to. It's in the scheme of things and the amount of coverage. It's, right. It's minute. Yes. Most of the people who are voting on that stuff have don't know anybody. Don't even know of a person who knows of a person right. who's involved yes. in this story. But it and gets yet, the blood boiling. Boy, absolutely. it gets the blood boiling. Yes. Culture wars. Yeah. Um, I would tell everybody that you're one of the voices, and I, and I am. I'm telling them on this podcast and, and anywhere else that I can, but that you're one of the voices that people should be listening to because I truly feel that you're very balanced, and like I said, no one is safe, and so I think that's a good thing. I don't even think you're safe with you. Like, I think you would call yourself out uh, well, you know, if, if you know you made a mistake. To, but, sometimes yeah. the fastest route to like getting people to leave you alone, you're like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're right. That, yeah. Was, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I, here's that, what I was trying to say, but you're right. Came out totally wrong. I'm going to delete it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My bad. Right. Um, what are some other voices, um, whether that be women in news uh, or men, whoever, just sources that that Soledad O'Brien relies upon? There's so many good ones. Um, I really follow, like Greg Gonzalez is a guy at Yale. He's an epidemiologist, and he's okay. just been great for um, public health information. Uh-huh. I remember one point he was... He was tweeting something at a New York Times reporter who said, <laughs> wrote back something like, yeah, dude, relax. And he's you're like, so this Yale epidemiologist is giving you some information, but the reporter, like, you know, couldn't manage to take that information. Right. Um, that's where we are Jeez. in America. Yeah, here uh, we are. I think he's great. Eric Bollert is great. He mm. really does a lot of looking kind of de- um, mystifying and deconstructing what happens in news. Um, Margaret Sullivan uh, also does a really good job. She does a lot of, again, looking at like how newsrooms run and how they think about how they cover stories. Mm. Uh, gosh, um, there's a lot of people that I like at the New York Times and a lot of people I dislike at the New York Times. Mm. Um, as much as I give the New York Times a lot of shit, I do, I do, <laughs> I, I'm a double subscriber. I'm always telling them, like, I'm a double subscriber. Like, I get the New York Times at home, I get the New York Times in my office, I, okay. you know, I, but also sometimes they're awful. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, who else? Gosh, I have to. You know, I think I, if, literally if you follow me for a day, you'll see a number of really interesting follows. So just sometimes just oh, people yeah. who are just kind of interesting. I mean, as much as I do, ch- you know, chip away at things I think are wrong, uh, more often I probably say, this is an interesting thread. This is a good description of this. This is someone who's got a good multi-part thing on how uh, vaccines are rolling out. This is an interesting take on this history. Like, I think yes. I do more of that than, yeah. you know, than picking on Megan McCain, who deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that eye roll right there. That was awesome. <laughs> that that, that, oh, um, okay. Let me say this. I got to share this. This is, this is a big one for me. <laughs> um, all right. The other day you share on social media, a picture of, and it's just the story that went around when the current governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, signed what amounted to the Voter Suppression Act of Georgia, which is just ridiculous and horrible. And, uh, but that's, anyways, that being said, the story of that moment, however, was that there they are, a bunch of white dudes, of course, making decisions for everybody. And they're standing underneath a photo of a plantation, the Callaway plantation. Okay, here you go, soul dad, you ready for this? My grandmother, she worked for Jimmy Carter, she's an amazing, amazing woman, love her to death. Her full name, Anne Callaway Martin. Wow. Yeah, I'm from Georgia, um, and uh, I saw that, and my uncle, uh, he all of a sudden, he was like, hey, did you see this, you know, whatever? And he's like, did you know this is like, now we are not of the Callaway line, like the direct, like Callaway Gardens and all of that stuff. I don't know anybody over there. If I were to show up at Callaway headquarters, they'd be like, who's this guy? Give me my money. Yeah. <laughs> we, we missed that fortune, but I'm like, thank God, because I don't want it, right? But um, anyways, um, that story hit me so deeply because it just showed me how uneducated I am. Even though I feel like I, I've, I'm attempting to learn so much, I'm attempting to open my ears and my eyes to everything that's going on out in the world. But yet, I've never really had a discussion with anyone in my family that is like basically like, yeah, we're, you know, grandmother was a Callaway and her cousins, you know, distant cousins, whatever, were the Callaways. And then her family beyond that, like they owned what's now Piedmont Park in Atlanta. You know, like they were probably the richest people in Georgia at one time. So wouldn't that amount that they probably were plantation owners, like slave owners? You know what I'm saying? But isn't that what's great about America? Remember when um, Ben Affleck was doing, I think, a Finding Your Roots? And yes. he tried to kind of squelch the part about his family being slave owners. And I'm like, but yeah. it's like, that's Hello? history. And right. that's okay. Like just, I mean, isn't it more amazing that in spite of this history, that generations later, you're like, wow, that was kind of screwed up. And we yes. don't believe those things because things move forward and people right. change. Right. I think that I think that that's amazing. I think that that's great. I, I, I don't I always feel badly for people who are ashamed of their family roots because one, it's just your roots. But also, like, look you how far yeah. you've come. I used to say to him, you know, this is what a great example of my great grandparents were this. And here I am here. Like over just uh, what three generations, four generations, right? We have completely moved the needle. That's amazing. So, are you ready for this one? I got another one for you. What's that? Okay, 
So my you grandmother. You did not own my family. That no, would be no, hard. no, no. I'm cheating. Oh, oh Lisa, that, relax. That you, Lisa. <laughs> Besides, my mother was Afro-Cuban. You'd have to be oh, a whole like. Good. You'd have to be I, in the whole Brazil thing. My face just turned a different oh, shade of red. See, look at that. Um, yeah. Um, no. Okay. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. Now, my uh, my grandmother's mother. Her name was Sarah Calloway. Her maiden name, Sarah Noise. Calloway, N-O-Y-S-E, okay, noise. Mm -hmm. There was a man who was uh, in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, she a witch? In the 1600s. No, no, 1600s. And he was like, he, he was supposed to be kind of like the chaplain over the trial, and he sort of ended up being the judge over the trial, and he basically was the one that like, I mean, he had like some serious quotes, whatever. His name? Nicholas Noyes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's so like you were great, like great stuck in history. I love it. Yeah, I just found this out from my uncle, and but then I, I called my wife that night. I was traveling when I found this out, and I called her and I was like, Kelly, how spooky is this? Like my great, 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 whatever something. He had something to do with my family. Was like the the, the guy judge, that basically yeah the that Salem basically witch trials. Yes, he was one of the Amazing. main dudes in this whole thing. And I started a podcast that says, "Let's listen to women's voices." <laughs> I love How it. weird is that? It's and I didn't amazing. even I didn't even know. But but anyways, the 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 point just being, our history matters and learning. It. And I think here I am. I'm a kid. I grew up in Georgia. I didn't know. I don't know so many things. I just shot a scene in Dublin, Georgia. When I got there, I learned that that was Dublin, Georgia, was the place where Martin Luther King gave his first speech as a 15 year old kid at a competition, a high school competition at a church. Uh, the first African Baptist church in Dublin, Georgia. He won the competition. He was 15 years old. I grew up in Georgia. I've never heard right. that story. There's Not so so many gaps we all have, and I think in our ability to understand history. I mean, you know, yes. I used to tell college students sometimes about my parents when they tried to get married in 1958, and yes. they lived in Maryland, so their marriage was illegal. They couldn't get married. Mm. They actually had to leave the state to get hitched and then drive oh, back and live. You know, and and college students are always like. We'd heard about that, but it like seemed like yeah. it was you know a hundred years ago. Not yes. you know. So I was born when, when I think the the law changed when my little brother was born. So my parents mm. had six kids before their marriage became legal in the state Jeez. of Maryland. But you wow. know, I think because we don't really study history, like I never learned about that in school in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's mm. a real, I think that's a real loss. I really do. So you know. Well, the reason why I brought all that up, and that's, you know, long family drama, whatever, but the the point was to just talk about how important education is and uh, what is, amounts to an incredibly long uh, segue. I wanted to talk about Powerful. Um, yes, which, because obviously education is just so important whenever you get it, whether you get it as a young kid in elementary school in Georgia, which hopefully they'll start teaching black history and real history in Georgia schools, you know, and not just the white part of it. Um, and, uh, and, and, or if you're learning it in college, you and your husband started Powerful, Powerful, P O W H E R. Um, F-U-L, um, helping women um, get to college and through college. Tell me more about that and, and why you're so passionate about um, education. Yeah, we started it after Hurricane Katrina. There were okay. just so many young women, mostly, who I was meeting mm -hmm. who 
were trying to figure out how to get on with their lives when they mm. literally lost absolutely everything. And so, because that was one of your Emmy award winning reports, yeah. was it not? Mm-hmm. Yes, on Hurricane yeah. Katrina. Okay, so you were deeply involved in that. I mean, uh, yeah, I spent heavily a lot involved. Of time. And my best friend, who was my producer at the time, also lived in New Orleans. So, okay. we, I, I just okay. spent a lot of time there. But I met a lot of young women, and so we started the foundation there and ended up going kind of national. But, you mm. know, this idea that we started raising money to help people get kind of to college and then realized it had to be to and through college, that mm. to usually just meant you had a lot of loans and you couldn't pay them off if you didn't finish. Yes, yeah. And then people needed a lot of support. You know, it was just hard. So it was fun. that We've had, I think, I have to calculate it, but probably 35, 37 graduates so far over the years. And wow. it's pretty small foundation. Really cool. And we've raised a lot of money to send girls to school. It's been, it's yeah, it's been really amazing to see young people who um, just need someone to believe in them and, and help pay for some stuff, but mostly believe in their ability to, to succeed and help them. So yeah, that's been a really, although my husband, when we started, my husband's like, we have four kids. Why are we paying? What, what are we paying for? <laughs> Oops, we got four people. We got to pay for their college. But, you know, it just, I, I think when you're somebody who's really desperate to figure it out, sometimes people will step up and be helpful. It certainly happened to me, and I think mm. for our scholars, we try to do the same thing. How are you guys um, raising the money for that, you know, earning the money for that, whatever that is ultimately then going uh, to, to help these? We used to do big fundraisers. This year, we didn't do our yeah. fundraiser because of coronavirus, yeah. uh, but yeah. normally we do a big gala, and then we often solicit people for um, for donations. But, you know, I stopped doing that because I was finding that what you were getting was um, people who needed to be thanked. So, for mm. example, it meant I had to have a social media team. It meant I had to have a PR. And I, I just was like, I'll just, I think we've raised probably about six and a half million dollars so Good far. Good Lord. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. And so, and what I found was like, I just wanted people who didn't need to be thanked. Mm. Like they were happy to give the money or, you know, and, and, and so often, for example, if you said to me, Soledad, I want you to come here and do such and such, I would say, Clint and Lisa, I am happy to come. You need to make a donation to my foundation, mm. and I will be there. And that actually mm-hmm. helped us raise a lot of money uh, every year to do events. Uh, and so people would, would ask, but also they were happy to make a donation because it was kind of a good quid pro quo. Yes. Um, and they knew they were investing in some of our scholars. And I found that was a little easier than saying to an organization or a corporation you know, we want your help, but then we're going to make sure we have tweets about it and we have social media and there'll be a photographer at this event and there'll be the, yep. that was just a lot. I just, you know, I, I just wanted people who wanted to pay for I just wanted every dime to go to the scholars. Well, earlier you, you, you mentioned maybe ha- had we taken our podcast on the road or done anything like that, and we haven't yet, but we're, my vision is No one's is going that, on the road. Where would you go? Ex- yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we can't. We can't. <laughs> Um, uh, but my dream and vision is that one day we will have like live podcast, maybe here, even in Waco. Um, and, uh, you just gave me the ticket. Now I know how we just need to make a donation Absolutely. to and, powerful and, and come on by to New York city. We'd love to have you. That would be y- awesome. Y- yes. Or, or if you want to go to the silos down here, the Magnolia silos, maybe we fly you down here. We, you, big donation done to power. Okay, mm-hmm. there, perfect. That's what that's what I'm done looking and for. Done. And we sell and out you an will arena. Be happy to know the young women that you put through college. It's really a rewarding. That's really thing. cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that really would be nice. that would be uh, in, incredible. Our Do girls you, have had some real. You know, this year we had three, or over the years, really, we've had three parents who we've had to bury. Oh my you know, gosh, 
And yeah. you just think these kids are in college, right? They're twenty something years old. Mm. I mean, imagine. Mm. Um, so it's just been, you know, it's just it's so hard for them sometimes. Um, and I remember thinking, like, our so is this what we is this in is this in our bylaws? Like, do we right. pay to bear? I don't know. And and we decided that our goal would be to remove obstacles for people who are trying to be successful. At the end of the one day. last question before we let you go, because I know you have you're a busy, busy person. Crazy I probably busy. left off seven things from your <laughs> resume. Um, you do so much of this with your husband. You're living through a pandemic. You're in the same house together. You're working on the same projects together. How do you guys do it? How do you make we it happen? We get along really well. So we've been married 25 years, 26, All right. going on 26 years in August okay. this summer. Um, and, you know, pre-pandemic, we both traveled a lot. So mm, it's been mm-hmm. kind of nice to like wake up and take the puppy for a walk and like go yeah. for an hour walk and do stuff <laughs> together and hang out and <laughs> and even hanging out with the kids. And I mean, I'm not much of a cook, but my older daughter really is a great cook. So we'd have okay. these home cooked meals, not made by me, but I, I will do the dishes. Yeah. Um, so as awful as the pandemic was in a lot of ways, I think one of the silver linings for us was that everybody was home, even though we were fighting over, you know, Zoom calls uh, and <laughs> yeah. and we got to hang out and see each other a lot um so yeah we don't really get sick of each other i think just because we we both were so busy and traveled so much that before the pandemic we actually didn't get to see each other all the time so do y'all have any nice. do you have any rules where it's like okay when we reach a conflict or something where it's like i want to do it this way or i want to do it that way do you have anything where like y'all work no, through that or just literally one, no one person's in charge so it's sort of oh like, you know, okay. and we definitely defer to the That's person rule. who really, really cares. I know okay. we do fight over hanging of art, which <laughs> makes it sound like we have this amazing art collection. But, like, you take this poster behind me, right? Brad <laughs> likes stuff super high. And I'm like, no, I kind of want it low. Oh, and we would fight and over, yep. over like, where, you know, is it high or is it low? And mm-hmm. so that that has been, that has actually gotten bad at times because we just disagree <laughs> and we will, neither one of us will move. But everything else, like, we usually defer to the person who's really pat. You know how someone really cares about a thing? Yeah. And then the other person's kind of like, yeah, I don't care. So yeah. often I'll be like, the bedspread needs to be beige. And he'll be like, yeah, okay, I don't care. <laughs> or he'll say, you know, we need to have the Wi-Fi, you know, Sonos, Sonos in this living room. I'm like, yeah. okay, do you, you have to get it done. I have no idea how to do that. Yeah, so right, right. Usually you defer to the person who really cares. The other thing I think we do well is usually we now know each other so well that very rarely are both of us hysterical at the same time. Like one person can be super mad mm. and then the other person's kind of like, I got it. Don't worry. I'll deal with it. You go for a while. You go. Very yeah. rarely are yeah. like both of us freaking out. Oh, that's when good. When I'm freaking out, Brad's like, you know what? Go for a walk. I got it. And when he's freaking out, I'm like, you know, Matt, we, I, you know I'm going to go. I'll order pizza. We're good. Yep. Yep. You know, let everybody just chill out. So that, that's been, even from when we started dating, that was kind of how it always is. Like very rarely are we freaked out together we we talked about this earlier that obviously you know not as many people are going to have to travel to pit shows and different things like that um but obviously things will go back to some sort of you know uh different time than they are now and where we'll be traveling again and all that are you beginning to ramp up for that are you starting yeah yeah, a little bit i just started getting requests in fact someone asked me to do something i was like in person like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that I'm sounds amazing. Work, like, They're like, okay, great. So we'll book a flight. I'm like, well, well, it, 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 like, me, me go to you in person? Yeah. Oh, oh, 
no, no, no. (laughs) But we are starting to do that. Um, We do board meetings uh, in California. So I think our next one will be in November and we'll start, you know, so which makes sense. I think it is time to to start doing that. I'm hopeful to travel a lot less than I've been traveling. So I've liked not traveling. It's Travel is very exhausting on the body. So, Oof, yeah, right. It is. Oh my gosh, it yeah, really a, is. And you forget yeah. it when you're in the zone of it, and you yeah. walk through airports, and you're just exhausted. But it's been it's really exhausting. So I'm sort of excited not to you know to be more thoughtful about traveling and not traveling. Well, I uh, I just I can't tell you uh, how thankful I am that you would take the time to sit down with us. Um, to talk to me. me. Oh, well, you're welcome. I mean, my goodness, you are sold at O'Brien and I'm sitting here going, what? Why am I getting to talk to you today? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's just fantastic to have you on. Thank you. You are uh, just wonderful. And um, again, everybody go follow her. She's just the best and um, keep it up because I feel like you are making a bigger impact than you might even know, really. Oh, I like because... to hear that because some days it feels like you're just slamming your head against a wall, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, you are not. You are actually making a difference. I know you have in my life, so thank you. Thank you're you. The best. Thanks for the interview. I really appreciate it. Nice to chat. Awesome. Thanks, Soledad. Well, that was amazing. Thank you, Soledad. Um, wow. Just uh I, I, I am always just blown away that anybody wants to actually have a conversation with me and all of our guests um, are just so kind to say, yeah, I'll come and talk with you, which just always makes my day. And Soledad, that is exactly how I feel about you. Uh, you have, <laughs> you've spoken with world leaders everywhere and me. And Clint Harp. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I am uh, genuinely just so thankful. Um, she's just everything that she puts out into the world, she backs it up genuinely. She is literally that person. And uh, I just I just absolutely love it. And um, I think she's just fantastic. She, as we talked, you know, Lisa, I think you had pointed this out that, you know, she actually gives you some behind the scenes takes and what it looks like to be a journalist. Yeah, of reporting and, and what it's really like. And I appreciated hearing that yeah. um, when we spoke with her. I, I, I highly suggest that um, if you haven't listened to Hillary Clinton's podcast, you and me both, she interviews Soledad um, in, a, in the same episode where she actually interviews um, Stacey Abrams as well, which is fantastic. Um, but uh, she interviews Soledad, and during that conversation, they just talked about some stuff that was really cool. And, and again, Soledad gave some of those sort of behind-the-scenes looks at, you know, being a journalist and, and things that are going on at, you know, different news agencies and stuff that you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. It's just, it's just really cool. She's great. I am such a huge fan. Soledad, um, we love you so much. Thank you for being on the show. What an absolute blast. All right, it's time to shine the spotlight on women in music. And this week we are shining it on Steel Blossoms. They're fronted by Sarah Zebley and Haley Amour. Uh, they are located in Nashville, Tennessee. The song we're playing this week is called Revenge, and it is heavy, and we like heavy. Lisa, you're smiling right now. I do. I know. I'm like happy, cheery. Right now, I literally have a B-52 song in my head, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm happy, I'm cheery, and and you know, they have some happy, cheery songs on their album, um, but this song is... I love this song. It tells us it tells a story and they have great harmony. Um, I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. Uh, And you can check out Steel Blossoms on social at Steel Blossoms 
or on their website at steelblossoms.com. And and let's let's be uh candid here. You know, when you they're singing about revenge, it's not like they're like like just like random revenge. It's like revenge against men who have mistreated women. That's the vibe that I got from when I how I yes, wrote totally. how I heard the song, excuse me. And um and Well, revenge in the afterlife. They're yes. they're yeah, that's how they're taking right. the, the revenge. Yeah, which is even darker. Yeah, and like cool, but like in a cool way, you know. <laughs> and um, and and uh, but anyways, I think that um, sometimes my first reaction is to be like, ah, that's a little bit hard to hear. You know, it's a kind of heavy. You know, like, I want to end on a happy note. And like, there's people out there that are going through really, really difficult stuff. Yeah, I was to say life is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And so sometimes you need to hear somebody singing about it where you're like, that really resonates with me. So some people, this may really resonate with you. Some people, it may not. But uh, it's regardless, it's just really good. Their whole album is good and fun. Um, You know, definitely a country um, group. And, uh, you know, if that's your jam... They're they're awesome. You know, I was gonna say if that's your jam, you should wipe them all over your toast. Oh my! God. And I don't think I've ever heard that phrase. It was just there, and I, I didn't say it. But that feels I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-mm. <laughs> Alrighty, still blossom. <laughs> all right, let's listen to some credits, and uh, yeah, and then let Steel Blossoms take it away. Thanks, everybody. Man Unmade is produced, organized, researched, and generally held together by Lisa Collins. Audio production and original music by Jackson Palomino. I'm your host, Clint Harp. Thanks for joining us on Man Unmade. Let's listen to some music. Bye, friends. Spread them.